Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. We look to that day, a day is coming, when we will live with you forever and ever. And there will be no more goodbyes. There will be no more separations. There will be no more fairly wells. For we will be with you and you will be with us forever and ever. There will be no time or distance. All things will be made new. With that hope in our mind and looking forward to that day, we come back to your word. Because now, now, when we are in time, we have to stand by faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So, Father, we magnify your word once again above all things, everything. Help us to focus. Touch our ears that we may hear what you have to say even this morning, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we are here, January the 30th. 30 days are over. <laughs> we'll go again. We have to go back to the ancient paths. If you have to go back to the ancient paths as God spoke through his prophets, we have to go back to the ancient of days and to his ancient word. Okay. The word is as old as God. <laughs> because God doesn't have age, the word is also ageless. And we may have to keep going back to very familiar portions. The issue is that if you go, if you think we are familiar, then we haven't understood God. We can never get familiar with the word of God. And we can never think or know that we know all the word of God. It's because the word of God, even the same old portions which we who especially us who are in the ministry is very familiar with us and each time we go back God so shows up and then we are surprised oh, how come I never saw this all these years so old things and new things we put it together and we build ourselves you know? uh, in Jude God tells through Apostle Jude to build yourself in the most holy faith if I'm right it's Jude 20 Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. How do we build up? Coming back over and over and over. Back to the Word of God. So, we are, we are going to Judges chapter 7, but when you go to, uh, we, everybody, even people who are not familiar with the Bible are familiar with certain Bible stories. And like people know the story of Samson, they know the story of David and Goliath, and they know the story of Gideon. Gideon is one of the very familiar stories people know. So you see the cycle in Israel's history after the time of Joshua. There was a time of Joshua when the nation had peace. And after that, they, a generation rose, the Bible say, that did not know their God. And that is when the trouble begins. And you see that reflected in the Christian world, especially in these last moments of the American Republic. When we talk about moments, we are not talking about human time, we are talking about God's time. A moment, because a day is a thousand years, a moment could be 40 years, okay? So we do not know. But we know, it's gasping for breath. You know why? Because a generation has risen that does not know their God. And what does God do? 
he hands them over into the hands of his enemies. Their enemies, his enemies. And then after a season of the horror of being enslaved by their enemies, they cry out to God for deliverance. And God raises up a leader and he delivers them. This is the history of Israel in the entire book of Judges, which goes to almost 450 years of their history. So you have these seasons. And one of the judges, now the Midianites and the Amalekites have all taken over Israel and they are crushing them and they cry out to the Lord. And one of the persons God uses in their history is a person called Gideon. And God picks up unusual figures. He does never picks up the kind of people we would pick for leadership. Okay. He has to fight. Remember, they have to fight. So typically looking, Gideon is a farmer. He's not a military genius. He's not a politician. He's not the kind of leader anybody would choose, but God picks that man. God knows. So when God picks a man, be sure God is behind him. And when God picks a man, remember, he will not pick the way the world will pick. The world looks at outside all kind of things. When Israel picked a king, they picked Saul. They wanted who looked like the other leaders, tall, handsome, smart, everything. But when God picked a leader, it was David, and he was a shepherd, and he did not look at all. I mean, what's what we call, uh, not Albert Camus, but political phrase, the outsider. Okay, David was the ultimate outsider. David was the ultimate outsider. Gideon was the ultimate outsider. Moses was an insider, and God rejected him for 40 years, until he became the ultimate outsider. And from outside, he brought him in, literally. This is God's, okay? So God frames these people and we also need to be realized, be very careful. You are a child of God, you are a servant of God, don't try to be an insider with the world. You will be disqualified. God does not accept insiders of the world system to be his servants. His servants are always outsiders who have spent time with God, allowed God to frame them in his image, in his vision, in the way he looks at things, and then he sends them out. So, for every season, God has his own leader in the Bible. So Gideon is picked up. And uh, Gideon, when he's found, he's found at a time of incredible fear. And you know, all God's leaders were fearful people. They were not like this worldly, you know, 56 in chest and fearless, this picture, nothing like that. They were all, Abraham was a fearful man. Okay, Isaac was a fearful man. Jacob was a fearful man. Moses was a fearful man. Joshua was a fearful man. Gideon was a fearful man. Okay, they were fearful. From fearful, God moves them through a series of revealing himself to them and his ways and makes them fearless. They were all people caught in doubt. They were not faithful, meaning faithful, not in that sense, but full of faith. They were full of doubt. Abraham was full of doubt. He straight away, first test, he was packed and went to Egypt. Okay, They were all people full of doubt, but they became men of faith. So God takes you through. So don't understand God's way. That's why he says he picks the foolish, the weak, the ones who are ignoble, those who are not rich. He picks, he picks simple people. And then makes them into extraordinary men and women of God. So you have Gideon. It's a process. Moving from fear to fearless. From doubt to a man of faith.
Yesterday we had looked at Rambar Naman. Today, as we go there, another. It was a Gentile leader. God had to humble him before God could lift him. In this place, when God finds Gideon, Gideon is sitting in a wine press, threshing wheat because he's scared the Midianites will come and take his harvest. So he's at a point of humility, afraid of his enemies, hiding, no trust in self, hiding, and God finds him. And from there, he asks for many signs, God answers his prayers and brings him through. Okay? We are looking at battle. Remember? Because we are in Judges 7. In Judges 7, you are going into battle. Judges 6 is preparation for the man of war. Judges 7 is the man of war in action. The Bible is a book of warfare. First war probably is between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Unmentioned, a war which took place in the heavenlies. And earth is void and dark, no order, and its darkness is covering because of something that happened. That's one of the presumptions. Genesis 14, you have the first war mentioned, Abraham fighting, all the way to Revelation 20, verses 7 to 9, the final battle. Oh, I didn't give you the paperwork. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, I have the whole thing so that you will not miss your time. Or I rather, I don't miss time. Lose time. Now when the thousand years have expired, this is after the thousand year rule of Jesus Christ, which will begin very soon. Satan will be released from his prison. Will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went out on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is the final battle. And it doesn't, it doesn't even look like, you know, when you have final battle, they are like sand of the sea and we are thinking of the armies of God and there is this huge clash, nothing. Fire came and devoured them. Okay. So that no man will ever, no flesh will ever glory. That's why we have to understand God's way of warfare, no flesh will boast. God, 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 God rejoices in the victory of his children, but the victory of the children will never be worked out by flesh or human wisdom. It will be by the strength of his spirit and by the wisdom of God, so that you know the father and the child rejoices together. It's not that God does not want us. He wants us victory, but he will not allow flesh to triumph. So we are looking at the farmer Gideon. And if you come to Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, we'll begin by verse 2. Yeah, not 12, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, okay, they're getting ready. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. It goes against defies logic. If you're going to fight an enemy, what you want is numbers. What you want numbers. In any battle, any general, he wants numbers. 
because they will ask very question. These are there are two different kinds of battles on earth. Do you just want to conquer the enemy, or do you want to hold the land? If you just want to defeat the enemy, they will want air power. If you want to hold the land, they want manpower. Because without manpower, you cannot hold the land. But God is different. It doesn't work like we think. He says, you got too many people. Remember when he blew the trumpet? 32,000 people came. We may think that is a large number. It is not because the enemy is 1,35,000 people. The odds are 1 to 5. By the time God cuts it down, their odds will be 1 to 450. Okay? God likes, God likes the odds. We don't like, that's not a, he's not a gambler. Nobody would bet when your odds are 1 to 450. Only God will. Because he likes those kind of odds. Okay? He says, you got too many people. The problem is you got too many people and you win, you will think it is your flesh. I brought the victory, which will go to your downfall. Okay, it will go to your downfall. God starts whittling down the company. You need to understand, God is, if you go to verse 12, you will see how God works. You have to understand, because we are learning from life, from the word of God. The Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and the camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. That's how they looked. See, God is cutting down the number of only his people and not the enemy. Please understand that. Because when we, when our numbers are reducing, we will look up and say, oh, is the enemy's number reducing? No. It doesn't reduce. They seems to be as big, as powerful, as united as before. So you look at it and say, what's wrong with me? My people are all leaving me. What is happening over here? Sometimes you need to understand when in the camp of God, people leave. It is the hand of God which is reducing our numbers so that we will not lean on the arm of flesh, but we lean only on the arm of God. On the other side, what you see is the number of the enemy remains the same. It hasn't changed. It's huge. Because in human logic wisdom, you would expect to cut down God to cut down the number of the enemy. Instead, he's cutting down his own army. And why is he doing that? Because... Only one thing ultimately will matter is faith. It's only when God cuts down our strength, when God cuts down our numbers, God cuts down our resources, God cuts down our supplies, we will really, really know whether our faith is genuine or not. What did I put my faith in? Whom did I put my trust in? That's the whole idea. God can always win. He doesn't even, like Eric prayed before, he doesn't even need us to win. Okay, you see the final battle. He doesn't ask his saints, come on, all be ready. He doesn't do all that. He just brings fire and destroys all of them. The Bible says the enemy will be destroyed by the glory of his coming. He doesn't need it. He doesn't even need an angel. I mean, he allows angels to fight battles for the angel's sake. Not that he needs the angels or humans or anything, but what God is doing. Why does he allow us to go through these processes so that I and you may know, where did I really put my faith in? Whom did I really trust? In verse 3, Judges 7 and verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people. He says, make an announcement. What is that? Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. 
and 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. You need to realize, we know, we have heard enough in the past weeks, fear is a tactic of the enemy. Intimidation is what the enemy does to use to create fear. That's what you see in the world systems everywhere. It is intimidation, intimidation, intimidation to create fear. Whose tactic is that? It is the enemy's tactic. But remember, God will use the very weapon of the enemy to purge his people. Okay? God will use the very weapon of the enemy, which is fear and intimidation, to test us out, to sift us out. Let me ask you this question. Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you, but I have prayed for you. What was the tactic the enemy used to sift Peter? Fear. God allowed. God allowed fear to be the tactic the enemy will use to sift Peter so that Peter would know, you know what? I said I will go and I will die with him. It is all my flesh. So that, and when you come back, come back, strengthen your brothers. How do you strengthen your brothers? Never put trust in yourself or your arm of flesh. Because if you do, when the hour of trial comes, you will also cut and run. Trust God. Trust God. He's the only one who can enable, enable. So God uses the very weapons of the enemy. He uses the very, he allows the enemy to work in our life. That's why Satan came and asked permission. God says, right. So God used Satan in the life of Job to bring that purity and the clarity in his life. By the time the testing is over, Satan is the instrument God uses. The testing is over. Job is able to say that my ears had heard about you, but now, my eyes have seen you. That's what we looked at a couple of days on Wednesday about ex- knowing God and not knowing about God. What Job is saying is that before these trials came, I knew about you. I knew about you. But now I know you. I know you. I have heard of you. I have seen you. I have understood you, who you are. Okay? So God will use the enemy to purge God's own ranks. Let all the fearful go. And when huge bulk left, 22,000. So in any crowd, this is true, any crowd in a church, remember the huge majority are actually fearful. They are fearful because they have not been sifted. They have not allowed the word of God, the testings of God, the trials of God to sift them and bring them close to God. So that they have learned to lean on God alone. And that's the truth. Majority of people anywhere in any church are fearful. In verse 4, God says, Now he has only 12,000. The Lord says, the people are still too many. Still too many. It's too many. Still too many. Odds have come, gone up higher and God says, it's still too many. He says, I still have to thin your ranks. What does he say? Bring them to the water. I will test them for you there. I will test them for you there. He didn't say you should test them. He said I will test them. And then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. Or whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. But please remember, hear the picture. What we are looking at is that warfare, spiritual warfare. We are not looking at normal living. 
Okay, so difference between normal Christian living and Christian battles. Christian warfare. And in warfare, we need to realize you cannot take everybody. You cannot take everybody. And you don't need everybody. You don't need everybody. You cannot take everybody. The first set of people God takes out of spiritual warfare are the fearful. Are you afraid of loss? Step aside and they all go. Second one you will see is, this is what he does. He's going to divide them by the water. Water we know represents the word of God. It represents the spirit of God. Basically, the second test is a test of trust. The foundation of any relationship is trust. Where there is no trust, there cannot be any intimacy. If you and I are expecting God to be intimate with us, we have to trust Him. And we have to trust Him with all our heart. Our hearts cannot be divided. Our minds cannot be divided. Irrespective of what the situation looks like or what we are going through. We may be going through some situation outside, may be normal. We may be going through a terrible time. Or we may be normal, the situation outside may be absolute, but all that is irrelevant. Because the bedrock of a relationship is trust. And where trust is lost, it doesn't matter what else you have. Trust is lost, you can be very sure soon the relationship will be on the rocks. So God is training Gideon and also his church down the ages because all these things were recorded for our sake upon whom the end of ages has come. Series. Can you trust me? First he had answered all Gideon's questions. Lord, this place, Lord, that place. He said, okay. okay. Now that I have answered all your questions, proven all your questions, now I'm going to ask you is that, can I trust you? So far through your questions, you were using me and allowed myself to be used for your sake. Now have you come to the point where I can use you? See, much of our prayers, God answers, but much of our prayers is us using God. And God says, go ahead, use me, so that I can show to you that you can trust me. And then a point will come, God says, now that you have used to me, I'm going to turn around and ask you, can I trust you? And do you trust me that you will obey me implicitly where I can use you? Okay, so the question is, can we trust God ultimately? Because only God, see, now this is war. In, in this particular context, only God knows people. Even Moses does not know the people. I mean, by the time you come to Numbers 14, he probably would have never dreamt when he started from Egypt, this entire crowd would turn against him and want another leader. Okay? So, only God knows people. Only God knows people. We do not know. Okay? Only God knows people. When you saw these 32, 32,000 people who came and pumping their chest, only God knew 22,000 were fearful. First chance they will run. They will run. And they ran. And hidden in the remaining 11, 12,000 is in that first 32,000, there was fear, there was unbelief. There was compromise. There were double-minded people. All were there, all in one group. See, in the mob, identity is in there. Identity is merged with the mob. The only identity you, is, you see the identity of the large group, the number. 
But when testing comes, when trials comes, you will see individual identities separate. So 22,000 fearful left. Now God says, you think they left 12,000 are good. I'll show you how much unbelief is there. How much double-mindedness is there among them. And God is using the enemy to expose all of this. Who is he using? Imagine, if the Midianites hadn't come, Gideon would have never known. Israel would have never known. that There were only 300 people who actually, whose hearts were stayed on God. If Ahab and Jezebel had not ruled for a season, wicked, evil rule, Israel would have never known there was only 7,000 people who did not bend their knees to Baal. If Ahab and Jezebel aren't there, everybody thinks, hallelujah, we are all going to heaven by and by. Then Ahab and Jezebel came and God had said to the most of them, by and by. Only 7,000 are there who did not bend their bow. Okay, So all these things are for our sake. Because we think we are gung-ho with God. And God says, you are not. The Bible says he led them into the wilderness and caused them to hunger and fed them with mama so that they would know what was in their heart. The wilderness revealed their heart. And war, when the enemy is numerous and the enemy is powerful and that kind of situations will reveal who we are. And now God is going to make the second revelation over there. If you turn with me to verses 5 to 7. He brought the people down to the water. And Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as the dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Now you imagine this, 12,000 people have been brought down to the water. Remember, this is a huge, this is a river. Brought out of the water. And you have these 12,000 people. And suddenly when you see the 12,000 people over there, what you see is a picture of thousands of people on their knees. On their knees. And here and there you see one individual on their haunches. And on their knees are thousands. Imagine if you and I were a pastor and you see a scene like that in the church, you will automatically think everyone who is on his knees is spiritual. God doesn't look at the outward man. He looks at the inside man. Everyone who was on the knees, he discarded them. Everyone who was on the knees, he discarded them. And everybody who was on the haunches and drinking, he said, those are the guys. But aren't these ones the prey? He said, yes, but they are not watching. I said, watch and pray. I said, watch and pray. These ones have only obeyed half my command. The other 300 have obeyed my full command. They are watching and they are praying. All around the world, every church has prayer meetings. Every church has cottage prayer meetings, prayer meetings, prayer meetings, prayer. And why is nothing happening? You know what? Because they are kneeling with their face hidden. They are not watching and they are not praying according to the will of God. And the purpose of God. They have no discernment to know the times and the seasons. And God says, you know what? I don't even see your prayers. You are not praying according to my will. You are praying against my will because you have no discernment. If you had watched, you would have known what to pray for. This is not emotion. This is not feelings. This is faith. Faith is not based on feelings. Faith is not based on your need. All groups are hungry. 
All 12,000 are hungry. Sorry, thirsty. Okay. My thirst, my need should not make me take my eyes off the kingdom. Because I have been asked to keep my eyes on the king and the kingdom. I have a need, I am thirsty. But even when I am thirsty, my eyes are on the king and on the kingdom. And that's what God is talking about. And he says those 300. No. God does not go by appearances. Well, men go by appearances. And if we take with us, that has not been sifted by God. You know what happens? It will slow us down. It may cost us even our victory. What God has not, even in our personal lives, what God has not sifted, and if we have not discarded those things, it will slow us down. It will cost us our victory. So allow God to sift us. This is a sifting. He says, he sits at his threshing floor and he's sifting the chaff and the grain. Okay, he's sifting. And who is he? It's the Holy Spirit. Suddenly he will come and he's sitting there. Okay, sitting there and he's sifting. Suddenly he will come and he's sifting and he's sifting. He will come into us. He's sifting what I can use and what I cannot use. And when he takes and what he cannot use is huge. But those are the things because we are caught in the carnal eye because we like these big numbers and these big things because we are attached to it. When God says get rid of it, we don't get rid of it. Get rid of it. God says get rid of it. I cannot use those things in your life. I cannot use those things in your life. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And we have to allow this sifting to take place. Otherwise it will slow us down. While the 300 that have come through the sifting. Please remember, this is a picture. Two pictures are there. One, this is the picture. This is for all the new ones. There are three, two pictures. One is a picture of the old covenant temple. The outer courts, the holy place, and the most holy place. And the outer courts was packed with people. Eleven tribes were there. Tens and thousands. All discarded. Holy place was packed with one tribe. And most holy place was just a select few. Usually the high priest one. And most of the time, Moses also went in and went out. Select few. And God says, you know what? This is a sifting that takes place. This is a sifting. Don't look at uh, the crowds. Most of the crowds cannot be used. See, a crowd one day can become a mob another day. You know that? A crowd one day, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Next day, crucify him, release Barabbas. Today's crowd can become tomorrow's mob. And God is not a person who uses mobs? He doesn't use mobs. Okay. God uses people who have surrendered their lives, their wills, and puts their trust in Him itself. The new covenant picture, God says, you are the temple. So I have my flesh, the outer courts, my body, my flesh, outer courts. I have my holy place, my intellect, my reason. And then I have my spirit. You know what? When you come into the final stages of your battle, he will discard my flesh, my body. He will discard my mind, my reason. Because faith doesn't agree with reason. 
Faith never agrees with reason. Find me one place in the Bible where faith and reason goes together. You will not find it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Try writing that in your science paper. Try writing that. But what does the book of Hebrews says? By faith we know all the things that are seen and unseen were created by God. By faith. So from Genesis 1 onwards, there is human reason and faith. And you know what? When you come to the third level, that is your spirit level, it is faith. So you have to be very, very careful when we, especially us, who are more learned than an average Christian, that when we use our wisdom and our intellect and our reason on the word of God, it is only to apply faith and not to use our reason on the word of God. We will be disappointed one day. And that's what happened to the church. One is all the flesh. What is that? Seeker-friendly churches. All feelings. Flesh is full of feelings. All seeker-friendly. Feelings are good. Only thing they should be at the back, not in the front. Okay? And then we have this intellectual churches. All exposition after exposition after exposition. Exposition should be there. Contextual exposition should be set up on preset life. All that is good. But at the end of the day, does that lead to faith? If it doesn't lead to faith, all the expression in the world is still not making you useful for God. None of the people in the Bible whom God called was an expositor of the Bible. They were men of faith. They were men of faith. And then they became, they understood scripture. First they believed and trusted God. And then God opened up their minds, their hearts to understand him. So we have to be very, very careful how you and I read the Bible. Because when we read the Bible, if it does not generate faith, we are caught in the holy place while the curtain has been torn and God is asking us to come to him. Let's go further. Let's see what happens. All the people, 300, let them go. God says, except for that, let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now come to verse 9 to 11. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into you. If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purai, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, after your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed man who were in the camp. Let's go to verse 9. Verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him. Psalm 121, verse 4. 121, verse 4. Behold, he who sleeps, Israel, shall neither slumber nor sleep. What does it mean? It means God does not sleep. If God does not sleep, be very careful. He may speak to you at night or he may speak to you at day. I sleep. He doesn't. That's why the Bible is full of dreams because God spoke to them when they were sleeping. and God gave them visions when they were awake. Be very careful. Be very careful. The God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. Be careful. He can speak to you during the day. Peter saw at the midday hour, he was going up to pray. He saw a vision. 
he saw a vision. But others saw dreams. When they were sleeping, they saw a dream. Okay, I'm talking about two pictures which our human mind can understand, a dream and a vision. But God can speak to you, whether it is in the daytime or the night times. You be very, very careful that you don't miss him. Don't put God in a box. Oh, I wake up early in the morning and do my devotions. He spoke to me. And the rest of the day I go about without listening. He said, you missed me. You missed me. You missed me. You put me in a box. So we put our early morning time as our devotions and separate that time to hear from God. And when God tries to speak to us during our daily, what we call in English, mundane activities of life, we miss his voice. We miss his voice. And God says, don't miss my voice. Come to verse 10. Arise, go down to the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. Okay? God is interesting. Okay? He always speaks in the past tense. Maybe I will. You'll have to try with your ways. I've given it to you. Okay? I've given it. You're blessed with every spirit. Lord, bless me. What are you talking about? I already said I blessed you. Now you take it. So we don't have to worry about will God bless me. We have to learn how to take it. Will God give me victory? No. You have to learn how to take your victory. It's all done. It's all done. God has seen the end from the beginning. It's all done in Christ. It is all over. It is finished. Because we are caught in time and God is not. God says, it's already done. Now you go and take it. So he tells man, take it. God has already seen the end of Gideon also. Now you rise and take it. And then in verse 10 he says, if you are afraid to go down, go down into the camp with Pura, your servant. In verse 11. No. You shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened. Sometimes, God will let us hear what the enemy says. What the enemy says. It's interesting. He says, after all that I have told you, after all that I have shown you, I know you. I'm not surprised by you. You need one more dose, then you are ready to run. The final booster shot. You know what? Now listen to what the enemy says. And after that, your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp of the devil. You need to listen to them. Okay. This is the difference between the two generations. The first generation of Israel, when they heard about the report of the Israelite, of the Canaanites, their heart sang, oh, they are giants and we are grasshoppers. Second generation came back and heard the two spies came back and said, you know what? Their hearts are melting because of fear of us and their hands were strengthened. Let's go take it. Okay. And we sometimes forget this, that the devil is more afraid of us than we are afraid of him. Okay. He's a giant, but he's a balloon. He's a giant. He's all full of air. He's a giant. Okay. All you need is to prick him. Okay. That's why he said, keep him under your feet. Keep him under your feet. Okay? Though spiritually we call it wrestling, but actual position, he said, is you wrestle him down and keep him under your feet. And Joshua says, come feel it. Put your feet on their necks. Okay? Then your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp of the enemy. So we need to hear. And we need to ask, Lord, let me hear what the enemy has to say. Let me hear about 
about and actually the bible is full of what the enemy says about the church and god has said about the enemy and you will see every time where you have a vision of the enemy after the intimidation and everything and all you will see deep inside they fear they fear the only only weapon the devil has is the weapon of lies and deception causes fear and intimidation but before a man or a woman who will not buckle before his lies or his intimidation he's lost so all it takes it's 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 a young boy like david or a mother like deborah to rise and suddenly the enemy vanishes or a housewife called jael who will take a hammer and a nail and finish the king who has been um, terrorizing israel for years and years and years and god said why did he use the simple people to show that the nature of the enemy why did he use uh, deborah a mother i mean who would use a mother to deliver israel a mother 40000 soldiers with no spear and a mother is god uses we would say lord among the 40000 soldiers are already there all we need is spears lord why don't we start a secret ma- factory manufacturing spears equip this 40000 god said no i have a mother who prays that's enough through her i'll bring deliverance and when all these people this king runs away how will we get him don't worry i have another housewife ready for him you know this is where we have to look because god's victories comes from unexpected quarters all is looking for his people do you believe me do you trust me listen to the enemy that was the final test for gideon now the midianites and the amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts the camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude and when gideon had come there was a man telling a dream to his companion and he said i have had a dream to my surprise a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of the midianite it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed his companion answered and said this is nothing else but the sword of gideon the son of joash a man of israel into his hand god has delivered midian and the whole camp within a period of a few weeks or months from the calling of gideon to the beginning of the war the enemy already knows gideon god has already sent the news of his leader into the enemy's camp news is already gone okay you need to realize even when we do not know god is working okay remember what the demon told the sons of skiva jesus i know paul i know how did you know paul if you ask the demon how do you how do you know paul have you have you have you encountered paul he says no but we have heard about him from our friends khatarnak hai wo aadmi chhod dena usko leave him alone leave him alone leave him alone this is the difference between sight and faith sight is they are like locusts a swarm of locusts like the sand of the seashore faith comes from hearing and hearing see at the if you look at it look at the timing okay go to words words 12 and 30 okay when gideon had come 
God said, go quietly. So they are all camouflaged in the dark. They go to the Midianite camp. They are just, I don't know, there must be tens and tens and ten, 135,000 soldiers. So there must be hundreds of tens. But look at God directing the steps of a man who obeys his voice. He goes into the enemy camp. Just imagine this is the enemy camp. And the exact end he's listening to, there is a conversation. This is what we call timing, God's timing. If he had gone to another tent, or if he had been earlier or later, he wouldn't have heard this conversation. Meaning God has already prepared everything for us, even among the Gentiles who do not know. When we obey him, the Gentile will dream a dream, and the other Gentile will give the interpretation for our sake. This has got nothing to do with them. This has got nothing to do with them. It's got everything to do with us. Look at... First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of God, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. Forty days, eighty times, morning and evening, this man comes and challenges Israel. He's, he's, he has his discipline. He has his own, uh, what time table? Morning, evening, he comes and challenges. Eight, 79 times he has challenged. No response. Last day, last challenge, 80th time he comes, that's the time when David reaches. God's timing. Meaning God always will only come at the last moment. In most cases he will only come at the last moment. When everybody has given up, God looks for one man who hasn't given up. That's why I like these prophets. I like them because there are God has been sifting, sifting, sifting people all falling away, apologizing for supporting Trump. And why are you apologizing for supporting a platform that is pro-life and anti a lot of junk? Like he's the other dude has signed uh, the legislation executive order now funding abortions abroad also, forgetting in U.S. Right? All of you supported him, no? Timothy Keller and all that lifelong Democrats. You got blood on your hands, meaning the tax money you pay to the government of U.S. is going to use not only to abort children in U.S., but to take lives of children abroad. You got blood on your hands because the money that is going is the tax dollars you pay. That's what they want to do to see that every man's hand is covered in the blood of unborn children. You know? Okay. That's what I'm talking about. No? But God has this man who never gave up. Because they're not looking at a personality. They're looking at policy. And policies have to agree. 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 That's why we are not, we are not afraid of big names. I heard, what is that? John Piper making a half-hearted this thing about uh, abortion and well, come on, there's nothing half-hearted about any of these things. Is yea or a nay? You are big names, you got big churches, you publish big books and all. But when the hour of evil came to U.S., you were all sifted out. You were all sifted out. And I have no compassion for you. I have no compassion for leaders who buckle under pressure when your nation is facing destruction. It is facing the destruction of the entire generation. And doesn't matter how big your name is, how big your reputation is before God, you are nothing. And is raising up simple people whom God nobody knew before. Is raising up a set of 300 who will not buckle under pressure. So believe God, trust God. He knows what he is doing. He knows. 
Because this battle is not for the swift or the strong. This battle is for who have put their heart and say, Lord, I will not waver. I will not turn to the left or the right. I am with you, Lord, through it all this. So remember timing. Remember timing. And the thing is that, how does he come? He comes back encouraged. He comes back encouraged. Now look at this. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. It happened on the same night, the Lord said to him. What did he say? Arise. What does God tell Gideon? Arise. Go to the camp of the enemy. Listen to what they say. God has timed it all, everything. He sees the, hears the dream. He hears the interpretation. And he comes back. And what does he do? Verse 15. So it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and his interpretation. What did he do? He worshipped. He worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise. God's word to him has become his word to his people. God said, Gideon, arise. He comes back and tells the people, arise. Why? For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. You have to put words 9 and words 15 together. It's interesting. You know what God says? Arise. For I have given the camp to you. Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into you. And if you're not sure, just go there and listen to a dream and come back. And when he comes back, you know what he says? Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. God tells to Gideon, Gideon tells to the 300. They have become one camp of the Lord. The word is the same. The word of the Lord from his mouth has become the word of God from Gideon's mouth. That's how it happens. That's when you know the camp has become one. Okay. Verse 16. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. We look at verse 16 with verse 8. Verse 8. So the people took, this is when the People who are leaving, the 22,000 left, 11,700 left. The people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. So he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his hand, and retained these 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him uh, in the valley. Let's put 7 and 8 together. The Lord said, by 300 men who lapped, I will save you and let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, retained those 300 men and the camp of Midian was below in his valley. So these people all have left. Only 300 are left. Now we come to verse 16. What you see is something that happens over here. He divided 300 men. He gave them a trumpet to hold. He gave them an empty pitcher with meaning the hands are full. The hands are full. Okay. Now if you understand what is happening, when those 22,000 and all the others left, you see when 32,000 gather, 32,000 do not gather with 32,000 trumpets. There will be only a few trumpeteers among the whole lot. But when these others left, what did these 300 do? They took the trumpets from them. Okay, now their hands are full. God is asking this question. Can you carry your burden? 
can you also along with it carry others burden you want to join this battle right you want to join this battle see everybody will join the battle when it is your own interest everybody prays what do they pray they pray for themselves and they're me bless me bless my wife bless my children bless my cat bless my dog amen that's your trumpet will you take your neighbor's trumpet he has left he's not even in the battlefield he's gone he's gone he's not even interested in the battle will you take his trumpet I believe that is what happened in the prison in Philippi. Paul and Silas were not praying for themselves. They were praying for their captors and the captives. And they were all listening. And God was listening too. They had taken the trumpets. They were not only carrying their load, they were carrying the load of others. That's what God is asking us. Can we? God says, can we? Because we want to be, I mean, in our mind, intellectually, we love that idea of being that 300. Everybody talks of being Gideon's 300, Gideon's 300. God says, yeah, Gideon had 300. I do have 300. Seeing as a symbolic number. But God says, can you carry all your burden? If you look at it, hands are full. You got a trumpet, you got a pitcher, you got a torch. I don't know how they managed to hold it. I still can't figure out how they managed to hold it. How do you hold it? Okay, I still I still cannot understand how you hold it. How do you hold the trumpet without the torch going out? How do you hold the trump the torch and the pitcher with the torch burning inside without letting go of the trumpet? Okay. He put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. I think they had to juggle. If I were, this is what I would do. I believe the trumpets had like our guitars a strap. So I will hold it like this. Imagine standing for battle. Because at the end of the day, you got only two hands. Okay, that's what we say, Lord, I am limited. I wish I was like one of those pagan gods with so many hands, but I have only two hands. No? Two hands? No, isn't, isn't that we seeing two hands? One hand, God says two hands are enough. I don't need three hands. I never ask for three hands. I ask only for two hands. But the question is, when I put something into that hands, be sure you can carry it, because the strength will be mine. The grace will be mine. The power will be mine. You can carry it. You can carry it. So you have 300 men standing there. One day when we reach heaven, we need to look at Gideon. Show me how did he do it. Okay. Okay. And then you see, Gideon has changed through this experience. Gideon has changed. Look at verse 17. These are literally instructions of Jesus Christ to his church. He said to them, put he there has Jesus. Jesus said to them, look at me. Do as I do and watch. When I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. He's become the leader. The farmer has become the leader. Okay? Farmer has become the This is like ancient generals when they're led from the front. Okay? Led from the front. Look at me and do likewise. Watch. When I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. 
And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also shall blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they posted the watch. Okay. What time did they come? They came at the beginning of the middle watch. The middle watch is from midnight. Beginning of the middle watch. What hour did they come? At the midnight hour. Okay, midnight hour. You need to understand, at the midnight hour, the enemy is drunk, full of food, and snoring away. The watch is changed. The watch is changed. Okay, the watch is changed. And that's the hour God's army reaches the place. 300 men with their trumpets and their pitcher and their flames. Okay, around about midnight hour. Even today, in the midnight hour, when the powers of darkness and the sorcerers and witches arise, or they are gathered, pattern has never changed. They are drunk. They are high on drugs, high on sorcery, and high on sex. Otherwise, demons don't come. Don't come. God says, when they are heavy on drugs and sex, because unless you have drugs, you cannot open the other realm to get the demons in. So high on drugs, that is what pharmacia or drugs and sorcery, they're all connected and uh, power sex. Power sex has to be because everything that is normal by God is perverted by the enemy. You have to give the enemy open door for him to come. So when they are high and drunk in this, God says, you rise. You rise. You rise. And I don't need too many people, he said. There may be 135,000 of them, sorcerers and witches and all gathers and they are high. I just need 300. Just need 300. That's the midnight hour. You look at the timings over there. There are different, different timings mentioned at different stages of warfare in the Bible. When Gideon, remember when Joshua had taken the enemy kings by surprise and that's the next day when God stopped the sun for him, remember? Scripture says he marched through the night. Through the night. These are pictures in the Bible. You know, if we are fighting a spiritual battle, we have to be very, very careful about hearing from God and do exactly as what God is teaching us. If you want victory. We can't have a particular pattern fixed and says, no, this is how you will do. We have to go by the Holy Spirit. He is the boss. He is the leader. Here it is Gideon. But Gideon is not the leader. The leader is God. Gideon is going as the Lord is leading him. So our leader is always the Holy Spirit. If he changes your pattern from today to tomorrow, today you woke up at 3 in the morning, tomorrow he says you don't wake up at 3. Instead you don't go to sleep at 3. 12 to 3, I want you to be awake. Why, Lord? Because I know what the enemy is doing. I know when he can be caught napping. You don't know. You don't know. So we have to be be, be willing. That is why we have talked two days back about your spirit of God. Be very careful how he leads you. The problem is we don't want this living relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we go just to the word alone. The word is written, it's black and white. It is um, um, letters printed on the pages of a book, which is very good. It's absolutely for living. But you cannot fight with that. 
to fight battles and fight battles, you have to hear from your general, you have to hear from the leader. Imagine um, at the Siachen border and all this border, all the soldiers sitting over there and looking through their manual. Okay, this is what... No, they're not sitting on their manual. They're sitting with their headphones on to see what headquarters is saying. What we need to do next. Not with their manual. Yes, they have their manual. But they will also listen. Be listening intently to see what his headquarters is saying, what we should do. And that's what God is talking about. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Okay, He didn't do that always. He didn't do that always. But he did it specifically. If you look at his pattern, his pattern was to rise up early in the morning and to pray. But certain times, his his father, the Holy Spirit, changed the order. He says, tonight you pray through. He prayed through. Okay. He prayed through the night. And you will see that's what's happening over there. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Saul has king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel that he cried out to the Lord all night. He cried out to? No. Cried out to the Lord all night. Think about it. This is Samuel. All night he cried out to the Lord. He grieved him. No? Though he can say, well, my time is over. You have a king. If he goops about, does it bother me? I ran my race well. Oh. He's so intimately connected with the life of Israel that he's crying out to the Lord. He's grieving. He's an old man. He's an old, old man. But he's grieving out to the Lord. And I see, I, I look at prophets, different voices that speak, and I look at them, and I see one or two of them grieving. Grieving. Okay? Grieving over the state of the nation. Grieving, crying over the state of the nation. And it strikes a chord with God. Because Jesus also wept over Jerusalem. When they wept over him, he said, don't weep over me. Weep over your own city, your own people. Because you did not see the hour of your visitation. And I know what is going to happen to you. You're going to know what happened to this temple. I know what is going to happen to you. This is what they will do. Not even a stone will be. They will dash your infants on the stone. He said, you did not know the hour of your visitation. No, hour of your visitation. No. The same thing has happened to U.S. They did not know. God had intervened in their history, put his foot on the doorway, gave them four years to get here. This thing, Instead, the man God raised up to rescue them, they turned against him. You did not know. You don't know my ways. You are looking for a polished, smooth talker to come. No, that's not how I you. I pick up outsiders. I've never picked up an insider. I've always picked up outsiders to do my job. And he was an outsider. But you know what? You went against me. Now you got what you wanted? Do you like all the executive orders that are coming? Oh, people of faith, not the people of unbelief. People of faith, how happy are you by every executive order, right? Very happy, right? Well, you get what you pay for. Because this is not to the unbeliever. This is to the people in the church who still have a conscience. When you see what is coming and being legislated, bypassing the Congress and the Senate. You called him for four years, he was a dictator, right? How many executive orders did your dictator pass in the last four years? The new dictator has already overshot him in executive orders what he didn't do in four years. So who is the dictator? This is what the enemy does. He calls you by name what he really is. Deflection. See what happens? 
So we don't apologize for praying for the right cause. I do, we never apologize. Because why? I mean, we apologize if we are wrong. But what we are standing for was a platform, a platform of life. And we will always stand for it. Because we don't know personalities. We don't know them. But we knew what each platform was standing for. And here, he grieved. Through the night, he grieved. Why? Over his nation. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. God intervened in the midnight hour. The angel came, knocked his chains off, brought him out. And verse 12, and when he had he came out, right? He's out in the night. There's nobody on the streets. It's past midnight, dark hour. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. Pray. They still pray. See, what are they praying for? For Peter's deliverance. And they're still praying because they have no clue. God has answered their prayers and he's been delivered. And the girl called Rhoda, who looked at him and without opening the gate, she ran back. She was so surprised. And the people who were praying also said, you must be out of your mind. Meaning they did not even believe in their own prayers. <laughs> or maybe they did, but they didn't expect a miracle like this to happen. That God had actually delivered Peter in the midnight hour. But you know what they were all doing? They were praying. They were praying. And that's what God is talking about. God has all the solutions we need. The question is, are we hearing? Are we listening? Are we obeying? Excuse me. Are we at the night watches when the enemy is asleep? Or enemy is high? They are, no, they are not asleep, they are high. Twenty to twenty-two. Can I get a, a refill? Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands were blowing and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp and the army fled to Beth, Cassia, towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel Mehola by the Tabat. Okay? Interesting, right? All they have, verse 20, they have a trumpet, they have an empty pitcher, and they have a torch. Okay? That's all they have. They held their torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. I don't know how they did it. But they, were, okay, how they, but they did it. And what did they do? They blew the trumpet. First question. Whose trumpet do we blow? Our trumpet? Our ministry's trumpet? Our church's trumpet? Our Christ's trumpet? That's a simple question. Remember the history of uh, King Saul? One year? Three years after that he blew his. Jonathan did a battle. He won a battle. Immediately he blew his trumpet. Pepe, pepe. Hero Israel. All Hebrews here. Problem is not only the Hebrews. The Philistines also heard. <laughs> Next thing you see, Hebrews are disappearing into the thickets, into the jungles, into the holes and crossing the river. Everything by hear how great Saul is. No. That's what God is asking. Whose trumpet do we blow? Do we blow our own trumpet? Do we blow the trumpet of our ministry? 
trumpet of ministry? Do we blow the trumpet of our church? Whose trumpet do we blow? Self or God? Because remember, 1 Corinthians 14, 8. Remember, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? See, the trumpet, the enemy has very discerning ears. He can hear the glory given to God, the glory given to self in the name of God. Seeing the difference? He knows the glory given to God and the glory given to self in the name of God. He knows, he knows which is sure and unsure. And when the trumpet sound is unsure, he will come after you. The enemy knows in which battle God is and where God is not. And if any man tries to take glory, God withdraws and says, when you are finished, I will come. I will come. Okay. Okay. I will come. We think the enemy does not have discernment. He has incredible discernment. He is spiritual. He is not religious. Devil is not religious. He is very spiritual. We are religious. He is spiritual. He is a spirit being. So the first question. They got three things in their hands. First question. Whose trumpet do we blow? Whose trumpet do we blow? Blow God's trumpet. Praise Him. Magnify Him. Worship Him alone. It's not that we praise Him. Praise Him alone. Magnify Him alone. Exalt Him alone. Because He is the only one who is worthy. Nobody else. Second question. In their hand, what did they have? An empty pitcher. So the question, second question is, how long does it take God to empty us? It took God 40 years to empty Moses. Because when he came to serve God, he was full. Absolutely full. And Acts 7.22 talks about how full he was. And the, any, the, anybody in the world would pick him up immediately. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds, full to the brim. God put him in the desert for 40 years to empty him. And by the time he had emptied, he said, I don't even know how to speak. <laughs> Resume changed. <laughs> See, I was very, very hesitant ever to write, but my resumes, whenever I had to, God, had to work in the secular realm for the sake of the church, my resumes always gave me the job I needed. But my resume was very clear. This is it. Class 10, this mark, class 12, this mark, undergraduation, this mark, PG, this mark, post PG, this mark. That's all I will write. I can do, I am such a asset to you, nothing. <laughs> Just that every resume only told me what was there in paper in my certificates and I gave it. Because if God is opening a door, this is it, nothing else. Nothing else. And if I attach something later onwards, it was a certificate about my work given by somebody else, my previous boss. Instead, today's resume is all blowing your own trumpet. And that's what God is saying. How long will it take it? How long does it take God to empty a man whom God has called or a man or a woman God is calling? 
That's why God allows defeat after defeat after defeat in his children's life. So that he will stop trusting in ourselves. He doesn't do that with them. You see, we look with the eyes of the world and say, look at him, success after success after success after whatever he do, he prospers. Why me? Defeat, defeat, defeat. God says, because that's not mine, you are mine. So his success is his eternal defeat. Your defeat, if you learn for you, is eternal success. Please see differently. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God because God is framing people. He's molding and forging soldiers in his army. And he says, your defeat is not actually defeat. Your defeat is actually success if you understand the lesson. Understand the lesson. Look at the man who had to go through the most difficult lessons. Romans chapter 4, 17 to 22. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though did. It sounds very great and all word of faith pastors use this. But basically, how would you like it? Peter, you are dead. First thing God tells Abraham is you are dead. Meaning there is nothing you can do. Buddha. Hey Buddha. <laughs> okay, old man. How old are you? 99. How old is your wife? 90. Can you both do anything? No. What is your resume? Dead. Dead. Are you finally dead? Your wife was dead many years ago, but you were alive. That's why you created through your concubine a son. Okay, she was dead. What about you? Are you dead? Yes, Lord, I am dead. <laughs> so both of you are dead. Right? Empty? Dead? That is what it says. Who contrary to hope? What does it mean? In hope believed. Meaning, he has no hope anymore in the flesh. It's over. But he has now only hope. In the God of all flesh. He has no hope. All he has left is that word of God. What is it? Next year, according to the time of the woman, your wife, Sarah, will have a child. Lord, I believe. I believe. I have no hope in myself. I have no hope in her. I am empty. I am dead. I am done. But I believe your word. I believe your word. What is that? Not only that, verse 18. It's interesting. Believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall you. See, his, his faith has to be at a really high level. If you and I are told at 90 or 100 you will have a son, thank you Lord, thank you Lord, I will have your son. That's not what God is saying. Your descendant shall be like the sand of the seashore, meaning your child of old age won't be retarded. He will not have Down syndrome. This is what happens when you have children in old age. You can have all these deformities. He says, you're going to have a child in your old age. I'm telling you, instead of being retarded, he will be the best specimen in the land. He'll be a child like no one else. And his descendants, the world will not be able to count. Look at what God is speaking to this man. Speaking to this man. The Bible says, not being weak in faith, not sight, weak in faith. He was strong in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead. And the deadness of Sarah's, who? father is dead, mother is dead. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. How long did it God? I mean, he entered the promised land at the age of 75. How long did it take God to empty him? 25 years. 25 years. Now, you don't have to be take that long. But I'm saying that the stronger a person is in the flesh, in the will, he will take a longer time to empty him. Moses, 40 years. Jacob, 20 years. Abraham, 25 years. So how long will it take us? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Sammy, can you put that AC on? Pull the curtain up. This is blowing right at my face. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond mission, above strength. Think about it. Who is he talking to? And Paul says beyond measure. That is some high measure. It's a man on his shoulders, post-Christ, literally the church was standing. And he says, what I went through is beyond measure. We are burdened beyond measure, above strength. So we despaired even of life. If Paul despairs of life, what about the rest of us? Why? Because God is saying, Paul has still got some self-life left. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So do you know why he put me through the bringer? He put me back against the wall because he's saying, Paul, you still got some trust in yourself and I have to bring you to the end of yourself so that I can work from you. I can fill you without measure. You know why he empties us? He doesn't empty us to leave us empty. He empties us so he can fill us to the measure. Okay? The the capacity of of um spiritual vessel it's not determined by its size because it's spiritual. It is determined by how much it already holds. If you come with yourself full, there's very little of the spirit he can give you. <coughs> hundred people or hundred and twenty people, excuse me, maybe in a room, and all of them may be filled with the Holy Spirit, and one man could be filled full of the Holy Spirit, and the rest a drop each, because ninety-nine could be full of themselves, and they got a drop of the Holy Spirit, while the other man must have been emptied and was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. That's the difference, because we don't look at containers with physical eyes. We have to see with spiritual eyes. So it is not determined by the size of the vessel. It is determined by the emptiness of the vessel. That's why Gideon is using an empty pitcher. They are given empty pitchers. So God says, how long? How long? An empty pitcher. Right? Against 300. 300 empty pitchers. Against 135,000 full vessels. At the end of the day, don't forget, that's all we are. Pitchers. Mud pots. Empty? The two words, pitcher. Not the baseball pitcher. Empty pots. That's what we are. Just empty pots. Never forget what God said about man in the beginning. 3.19 By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Dust you are and the dust you shall return. That's at the end of the day that's what we are. We are just dust. If there is something in us which is not dust, it is of God. He breathed into us. That's why we are different. 
But ultimately, before he breathed into us, what we were? Dust. That's what Adama means. Adam means. Adama means outer earth. Dust we are. We are just a picture. And on the way, the picture got full of so many things. And the picture is now doing dances, saying, look at me, look at me. God says, what difference does it make? Dust unto dust you will go. Still dust. So we are busy filling the pot and God is busy trying to empty the pot. Then, it's not enough to be empty and the pitcher, there needs to be something in the pitcher. Second Corinthians 4, 7. Paul, boy, what a man. We have treasure in earthen vessels. It's not enough to be empty pitcher. It doesn't work. He said, there has to be a torch in the empty picture, a flaming torch in the empty picture. So it is not enough to say that I am an empty piece, oh Lord. You thank you, Lord, for breaking me, Lord, thanking me, I'm nothing, Lord, dust unto dust, ashes unto dust. He says, all that is good. I agree with that. But what else is there? If I am there, if there is no treasure, the picture has no value. The value of the pot is not determined by the pot. It is determined by what is in the pot. If it is flesh, it is valueless in the eyes of God. If it is his spirit, then it is of in, it's invaluable in the eyes of God. Is it God in you? Is what God is asking. Is it God in you? What is the treasure? What is that light? What is that torch? Look at John 1, 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. So they had an empty pitcher and there was this torch. What is that torch? If we, if I am empty and you have a torch in that, what is that? It has to be the light of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, especially in the KJV version. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I no longer live, but I live. Who lives? Christ lives in me. So you know what? Paul became the perfect example of an earthen vessel with treasure inside. And it was not Paul, it was Christ. This is God's plan for us. Empty pictures with life, light inside. And How does that come? He says, that life, how do I live? I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's why it is so important that we walk by faith. Why does God ask us to walk by faith? Why can't I walk by sight? He says, there's only one life that pleases me. What is that? It's the life of my son. No, none of your life pleases me. God is displeased with all of us. He's pleased only with one man. That is his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the only way his life will be manifested in us when we live by faith. God says, I'm pleased with you. You're pleased with me, meaning my son. That's what Paul is saying. That life I live now in flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And God is pleased with Paul. Why? He's not living his life. He's living, Christ is living through him. This is what it means to live by faith. So there is a living by faith and there is a walking by faith. Okay? Gideon came through that process. Now he's hearing and who's doing it. So at the end of the day, who's doing it through Gideon? It's Christ who's doing it through Gideon. The life of Gideon and the life of Christ has become one life. One life. That's why you hear that. That What is their shout? 
The sword of the Lord and the sword of... It's one life. Gideon does not have at that point of time a life apart from God. The life of God and the life of Gideon have become. Therefore, the sword of God and the sword of Gideon has become one. On heaven, you see the sword of God. On earth, you see the sword of Gideon. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And he's trying to bring us to that point. And verse 19. Gideon and the 300 men who were there, and they blew their trumpets. And what did they do? They broke their pitchers, their jars in their hands. That's the next part we don't like. Lord, I am earth and pot, Lord. The treasure is you, Lord. He said, yeah, but nobody sees it. No, I will take, no, I don't want it taken out. I want it you broken. No, Lord, please keep the picture intact, Lord. Don't break it. I will take it out once in a while and show the light and put it back. God says, no. It doesn't say they kept the picture down carefully on the ground to use for a later day. Does it say that? They could have done it. How many seconds does it take? Three seconds? Actually, to break it takes more time. If you can throw it and break it, you can also put it down, right? That's not what is written. It's written they broke the pictures. See, only the, when the vessel is broken, can the light come out. Now let me explain to this. There are two kinds of brokenness. Be careful. There are God-initiated ones. And there are self-initiated ones. When God initiates brokenness, that's what you see in the land of Egypt, ten plagues, at the end of the day, a broken king. Bless me and leave me. God broke a nation. Broke them like this. God initiated. Or like, I was in, I was tickled when Eric was praying. He, out of the blue, he used the scripture. Nobody will use in scripture in praying. Look at Daniel chapter 4. When God breaks a man. The very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was, who is this? The greatest king in human history. In terms of pomp and splendor. Because he is the head of gold in that statue. He was driven from men. Air grass like an oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. His hair had grown like eagle's feathers. His nails were like bird's claws. And at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised Him. God broke Him. He was the first hippie. Long hair and long nails. <laughs> Matted long hair and long nails. <clears throat> Do you see that? This was the greatest king. This is God initiated brokenness. He broke them. One king went to his death, though God broke him. This man at least came to his senses. So when God initiates brokenness, please remember, it's not a good experience. It's not a good experience. The best one is the self-initiated brokenness. That's what God is saying in James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourself. Break yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. When we pray for a nation, we hear this prayer all around for U.S. First Chronicles 17, 7, 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. My people who are called by my name, others pray, it does not make any difference, will humble themselves. That's the first thing. 
Pray, seek my face and all are secondary. Everybody prays. Everybody is trying to seek. Some people try to turn from the wicked ways also, but they don't humble. That's not the first thing God asks. God is not asking any of these things first. The first thing God asks is, is, will you humble yourself? And humbling is not very easy. It's a very difficult thing. Like I said, humbling is coming under the authority of another man. But that's what God, God is teaching Gideon. God said, I am humble. I am meek. I am lowly. So first, God humbles himself. Whatever Gideon says, he does. God, will the fleet be wet? The ground, right? Okay, Gideon, I am your servant. Done. Next day, Lord, please, 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 will the wet ground be wet and the fleece be dry? Wet. He says, okay, I'll do it. So God first humbles himself before man. And after that, he says, man, you humble yourself with before me so that we can walk together. We can walk together. Okay? And that is what God is talking about. People who are called by my name will humble themselves. Philippians 2, 8. The greatest of him all, Jesus Christ. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Look at this always. Put that two words together. This is biblical humility. You cannot be biblically, scripturally, spiritually be humble without obedience. If there is humility in the Bible, there is obedience with it. If you say you are humble without obedience, you are not humble. We are not humble. It's as simple as that. You cannot have humility in the Bible without obedience. Humility and obedience in the Bible always goes together. It always goes. And Jesus came and showed us the way of heaven. He was meek and he was lowly and he was obedient to the Father, even to the death, point of death and death on the cross. The most humiliating death you could get under the Roman, painful and humiliating, both stripped naked, hanging there before the whole world, hanging over there and painful because every breath is pain racking. And he chose that death. Father said, that's your death. But why should it be? Because scripture has to be fulfilled. Why? Because it was written through the psalmist, they shall pierce you. And scripture has already been written. And you cannot go outside scripture. You will die the way it is written. And it is supernatural because in the Bible it was written about crucifixion. Well, crucifixion was invented by the Romans. And the Roman Empire had not even come into being when it is written. God had already decided which nation his son would come in, which form of death his son would go through. And God is saying, you know what, he was humble. He was humble. So they broke their jars. Can our jars be broken? We know we are empty. We agree we are empty. We agree we are a pitcher, dust unto dust. And God says, good. One and two. Now the third one. Can I break you? Can I break you? Is the question God says. And Jesus attests to this fact. Matthew 23 verses 11 and 12. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God says this is the principle of the word of God. In the kingdom, this is how it works. And every person God has used. If you look at leaders like Gideon, 
and leaders like Moses or leaders like Samuel and leaders like David. There are different kinds of leaders in the Bible. Short-term leaders and leaders who are leaders till the end of their life. And if you look at leaders who are leaders till the end of their lives, they were humble throughout. The other short-term leaders were only humble for a season. After that, they reverted back to their old ways. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, in the kingdom of God, which is eternal, do I want to be a short-term leader or a long-term leader? Okay, because you cannot choose humility for seasons of life. Humility is a part of the virtue which we add to faith. So in short, the pots were cracked. I liked a pastor who once said, you are cracked, you do, or you are cracked, you don't. You got the statement, right? In English, you have the other one, no? Either way with God, you are cracked, you do, or you are cracked, you don't. Either way, he will crack you. If you don't humble by yourself, be sure God will humble you. So the question is this. When you and I are broken, what is that the enemy sees? Enemy sees. We are going to the fourth stage. You agree you are a pitcher only? Mud pot, dust under dust. You agree you are empty. You agree you are broken. But when you are broken, what does the enemy see? Does he see the life of Christ? If he sees the life of Christ, the enemy is confused. The Bible says, when they broke the pitchers and blew the trumpets, the enemy was confused. If the enemy is not confused, he still sees your life. And he is not confused by flesh. Because he identifies fully with flesh. He understands flesh very well. What does he see? Self-life that empowers the enemy? Does he see bitterness? Does he see self-pity? First Samuel 16.1 Self-pity? Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing that I have rejected him. He cried, wept all the night for Saul. It is good. I gave you a season to cry. What are you crying over? What I have rejected. You know? Is Samuel an empty vessel? Yes. Is he just a vessel? Yes. Is he he dust unto dust? Yes. But you know what? Now in his brokenness, you know what he's showing? Self-pity. But why are you crying over what I have rejected? Be careful. Ramba Naomi? Broken? But what comes out is self. Bitterness. <laughs> Joshua chapter 7. 6 and 10. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. In verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why do you lie on your face? I like verse 6. Because we have to understand God's ways. He lay on his face, he and the elders of Israel, they put dust also on their heads, sign of humility, everything. Broken by the first defeat. And how long did they lie there? Until evening God didn't say anything. Evening he said, what are you lying there? Get up. (laughs) 
It is exactly what we do with our babies when they are throwing tantrums. So they roll, jump, we ignore them completely. And then finally, what are you crying? They get up. <laughs> I am not moved by all these things. We tell the child lots. I am not moved by all, all these things. Get up from there. And that fellow will slowly get up. We realize it didn't work. It didn't work. God ignored them till evening. And they are hoping. Then suddenly when the word of the Lord comes, they said, oh God, I saw it. He said, get up. What are you lying there on your face for? Are you getting it? First Kings chapter 19, 4 and 5. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came, sat down under a broom tree. He prayed that he might die and he said, it is enough. Now Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's broken. Coming is self-pity. Empty vessel, pitcher, dust. And then he lay and slept under a broom and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. You will think, oh, Lord came, arise and eat. He wants to die, God says, you have to live. And then he walks for 40 days. And when he reaches after 40 days, listen to what God says. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? <laughs> he would have expected, oh Elijah, I love your humility. <laughs> You walked for 40 days. My heart is with you. He said, what are you doing here? Dodo, what are you doing here? You think I was moved by all your prayers and tears and this thing. What are you doing here? So please remember, in that one word, empty picture, there are many things. First, don't forget that you are just dust unto dust. You are a pot of clay. Second, you are empty. Third, you need to be broken. And fourth thing, you can have all three and still self come out. Fourth thing, what comes out is Christ and not you. In all these cases we looked, godly men, Samuel and Elijah and Joshua, three godly men. In the time of Christ when they were broken, self came out. And God was not moved with any one of them. The first one he said, why are you crying over what I have rejected? Second one, he said, get up from your face. What are you crying over there? Third one, he said, what are you doing here? Okay. Remember, these are not ordinary men. These are extraordinary men. Extraordinary men. God's hand-picked men in their generations. But at certain points in their time, they were empty. They were pictures. They were broken. But what shone was not light. What was not light. But when Paul and Silas who were mud vessels, they were broken. What came out in the jail in Philippi was Christ. And the devil was listening. And the captives were listening. And God was listening. And God moved. And everybody was set free. So God asked this question. Because until we are broken in this way, broken in this way, we cannot really be used Really, really, God will use us. But we are not really being used the way God wants to use us. I'll give you three scriptures. Matthew 14, verse 19. We looked at it long by ago, but it's still, it's heartwarming. This is the feeding of the 5,000. He commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed. Whatever we give our lives into his hands, remember, he receives any life, broken life, prostitutes, life, princess, life, pimps, life, drug addicts, life, drug dealers, life. He is not worried. Any life that is surrendered into his hand, he takes it. That's our God. Oh, it's a boy's lunch. It's not worthy for my hand. Nothing. Take it. Give it to him. 
and he blesses it. We want our lives to be received by God. We want God to bless us. But at that point, people stop. And we are still not used. We say, we are blessed. Look at my job. Look at my children. Look at my gadi. Look at my house. Look at my success. That's because God took your life and he blessed you. But he hasn't used you yet. He cannot really use you. Because if he has to use you where the lives of other people are transformed, where their hunger is filled, where they are satisfied, you have to be broken. You have to be broken. Your life has not been given away. Your life is still in his hands. Because you have not allowed your self-will to be broken for your life to be given away. God wants to give away his life. You are still saying, Lord, let not go. Hold me. Hold me, Lord. Hold me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. He said, I have blessed you. I have blessed you. I have blessed you. He said, I want to let go of you. He says, no, Lord. I want to stay there. And we are never really used. Bible says, he blessed, he broke, and he gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Everybody ate and was full. Look at the next one. Matthew 26, and this is his last day. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, eat, this is my... Wait a second. Wait a second. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And what did he say? This is my? But that's not what he should say. This is my head. We are the body. The question is, is the body broken? Is the body broken? This is my body. We are the body. We are parts of his body. Only the broken ones can be used. Eat. On the road to Maus, after he rose from the dead, he's walking with two disciples. They have no clue who it is because he didn't reveal himself. He closed their eyes. He's walking. He's talking. And finally, they come to this little town. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And then when did their eyes open? At the breaking of the bread. That's the point when our eyes will be opened. Okay? When the pitcher was broken, the light was revealed. At that moment, light is revealed. So when we are broken, the life of Christ is revealed. That's when the eyes of people will be opened. Paul and Silas, when they were in the prison, when they, they were broken and they were singing praises and praying, the eyes of the captives were being opened. The sign of the chains coming back is a spiritual sign of the spiritual eyes being opened. Their eyes were opened. When was it open? When they were broken. And if we are not broken, the world will not see Christ. And verse 35, he disappeared. They rushed back and told the apostles. They told them about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them. That's interesting, right? This is a clue to the entire thing. Every place he ordered it to them. Anywhere in the Bible you look, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it all the way down to Corinthians 11. But the clue, the revelation is here. Revelation is there. What did they say? It was not in the taking of the bread. <clears throat> it was not the blessing of the bread. It was in the breaking of the bread that he was known to them. It was in the breaking of the pitcher. That it was known. It was not the carrying of the trumpet. It was the blowing of the trumpet. Which made a short sound where he is revealed. 
where he's revealed. It's not the carrying, it's not the polishing of the trumpet. It's not even the blowing of the trumpet. It's the blowing of a sure sound that his glory is revealed. <coughs> then what will say? Verse 20. Sword for the Lord. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The word of God becomes the word of man. The word of man becomes the word of God. They have become one. Look at how Jesus destroys his enemies. Revelation 19.15 and 1 Kings 17.1 Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. It is his word. Goes. With it he should strike the nations. The sword from his mouth. 1 Kings 17.1 And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain this years except at. He didn't say at his word. He says my word. The sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon has become one. The word of the Lord in heaven and the word of the man of God on earth has become one. And heavens is locked up for three and a half years. It does not even rain. There is no dew. Everything stops. Verse 21. Let's finish it off, right? Let's finish it off. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. That we look two days back, right? Stand firm. Stand firm. Every man stood in his position all around the camp. The whole army. This confusion, the enemy's camp. It's huge. It is massive. Chariots and camels and soldiers. Stand firm. In that commotion that is happening in the political field, in the commotion that's happening in the economic field, like one set of guys have gone and taken the stock market haywire. Okay, one set of guys, small investors are giving the big tech, big guys a run for their money. The big guys have lost 70 billion in one day. God is doing his own things. The markets are going crazy. Everywhere God is intervening. Okay, but whatever is happening everywhere, political, entertainment, all these things, you know what you need to do? Stand firm. What were you were told to do? You were told to blow the trumpet and hold the torch. Stand firm. Doing this too. Singing his praising and showing his light. His life to the world. Stand firm. Around the camp. The world is the camp. Around the camp. Stand. Encircle the world. Like Jericho was encircled for seven days. Encircle the world with the testimony of God and the life of God. His praises and his life. Stand there firm. Don't move. Don't be moved by all this thing. And verse 22. When the 300 blew the trumpets, what does it say? The Lord set every man's sword against his companion. You know what? 300 trumpets sounded like one. 300 trumpets sounded like one. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Think about it. God has destined that time. What is the time? The day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost has fully come. But the people were not in one place or in one accord. 
Holy Spirit is still waiting. God's appointed time has come, but the vessels are not ready. Bible says, appointed time has come, but they have come in one place, in one accord. 300 trumpets, sounding like one, the Lord set confusion in the camps of the enemy. Time and hour will come where every prophetic voice from God will sound the same. There will be no confusion. It will sound the same. It will sound the same. And when it happens, you will see the mayhem in the enemy's camp. Because God will turn every man's sword against his enemy. The day and hour is coming. The day and hour is coming. That's why we spend time in prayer in this year. We are not spending time in prayer as something which is a waste. We are all separately and corporately, but separately, primarily spending time so that we are all connected to the head from which flows everything. And then every man in every country, every servant of God is connected to the same head. You know what? The voice will become the same. It may be in a thousand different languages, but it will be the same voice. Same voice. Then see what the Lord will do. <clears throat> and the last word for today. Two, two verses. One from Judges, one from Samuel. But the last verse. <clears throat> so now the enemy is being pursued by Gideon. And Gideon came to Jordan. He and the 300 men who were with him crossed over exhausted, but still in pursuit. This is not an easy thing. Praying is an exhausting thing. Preaching is an exhausting thing. Standing there and praising God when you see nothing is an exhausted thing. But even when you are exhausted, you are still pursuing your enemy. Don't give up. Don't give up. Exhausted. Why are they exhausted? Because only 300 were there. 32,000 left because of fear. 22,000 left because of fear. 11,700 because we are compromised. So it's at the end of the day, the burden of the world, the burden of the church, the burden of God rests upon a few soldiers. They are the ones who are doing all the work. They are doing the fasting, they are doing the praising, they are doing the preaching. They are standing in the gap and they are exhausted. They are still pursuing. They haven't given up. Exhausted. But still in pursuit. So don't forget all those who are listening on. I know you are exhausted. Some of you have fasted for, we fasted for 80 days. Some of you are still fasting. You are praying. You sleep very little. You are spending day and night. You are exhausted. But remember in the spiritual realm, you are still pursuing. You are still pursuing. In First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 10, God had told Sam, David in his darkest hour, what is that? Pursue, overtake, recover all. And David pursued. He and 400 men. Why? For 200 were exhausted. They left the pursuit. They left the pursuit. He had only 600 men. And 200 were exhausted. And they gave up the pursuit. And we see that. So many giving up the pursuit. But you cannot give up the pursuit because we are not looking at anything other than the kingdom of God. Only the church has the power to change situations. God has given it to the power, to the church. And he has given us the promise, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know what it means? It means your and my faith needs Endurance. We come back to that. Endurance. He who endures till the end shall be saved. That's how Gideon began. And that's how Gideon entered. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. We come to the 30th day of the first month. Yes, Lord. Sometimes, some days we are exhausted. But we are still in the pursuit. 
Because you pursued us. You chased us down the alleys and the gutters and all. You chased us until you got us. Now it's turned around. We are chasing you. We are pursuing you, Lord. We are not pursuing anything other than ultimately we are pursuing you. Your righteousness, your kingdom, your will, your purpose in our lives. We are pursuing you and we will rest when we know thy kingdom has come down to earth. That's when we will know we have finished our task. That's what we are pursuing, Lord. We will not give up on this fight. Because it's a good fight of faith. We will not give up this life because this is the life of your son in us. The only life that pleases God. God is not pleased by the life in the outer courts. He's not even pleased with the life in the holy place. There's only one life that pleases him. The life in the holy of holies. That's why you sent your son. That's why you tore the curtain. And the curtain was the body of your son that was torn. So that we could come to the holy of holies and dwell with you. Hear from you. And then you could live your life through us. I pray, Lord, we will realize who we are. Just mud pots. That's all we are. Dust unto dust you shall be, you said. That's all we are. But I pray, Lord, we will be empty too. Keep emptying us, Lord. Emptying us of self. Self-promotion. Self-desires, self-pleasures, self-self-self, Lord. Empty, empty us of self. And break us, Lord. You can only use broken vessels, Lord. Help us to break ourselves. Everyone who falls upon that rock shall be broken. Or one day the rock shall fall upon us and crush us. Help us to fall upon the rock every day and allow ourselves to be broken. That's not enough, Lord. At the end of the day, let the enemy and the world see your life. In our life, there is no redemption. In our life, there is no healing. In our life, there is no power to deliver. In our life, there is nothing. Maybe power to entertain. But there is no life in our life. The life is in your life. So when all these three has taken place and when we are revealed, I pray, Lord, you are revealed. And we too should be able to say like your servant, Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I pray, Lord, yes, as we run this race, as we pursue, we will be exhausted in this battle, but we will not give up that pursuit. Like those 200 men David's men, they would have regretted it all the days of their life to know that at the greatest hour where the king needed them, they abandoned him. And he would return. He would be still gracious to them. But they would miss the greatest moment. In the greatest battle, they would not be the one who part of that victory. We want to be part of that great victory. When every man on earth will stop praying, Thy kingdom come. Instead they will say, His kingdom has come. The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. That's what we are pursuing, Lord. That's what we are pursuing. Oh, Father, Thy kingdom 
thy righteousness, thy glory, to bring glory to your name. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. As one part of the world goes to sleep, we speak your rest. As another part of the world is into half the day, I speak your rest. And we pray, Lord, from rest, we will fight this battle. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen.